What up, Del One Pride? This is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where One Pride goes worldwide, and the podcast where you will have the best two hours of group therapy session every single week because of the Detroit Lions. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick, and you will be all very glad to hear that I have company with me today. It won't just be me rattling on for an hour and a half. I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey and Steve Collins. Gents, um, this is going to be a tough one, but just early off, how are we doing? Are we all right now? No. Ryan's going to be pissed. Let's face it. Ryan's. If, if I'm pissed, Ryan's going to be super pissed. Yeah, and Ash has just both been winding you up in the chat with all these comments from Dan Campbell's presser. I have not listened to it. I will listen to it after the show. But welcome to everyone today. This is episode 144, The KJ KO. And yes, the Minnesota Vikings got us back. It was going to happen. Last year, we dashed their playoff dreams um, in brutal fashion. I fed off the tears of Kirk Cousins and the anguish on the field of him that day well they got their own back folks um we kind of yeah I just I I don't know how to feel about this game at this moment in time I'm 24 hours removed I was hoping I'd wake up in a clearer frame of mind this morning and I'm 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 still just a little bit uh I don't know I really don't know. This is going to be the theme of today. Um, we will. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure about the KJKO. I mean, at least KY is a bit more of a lubricated, uh, you know, whatting. <laughs> oh, well, I could have used. I can't use KY. I could have used KJOKO. But yeah, yeah. I just KJ Osborne. You know, I hate you. Really, I do. In fact, no, I don't. I hate the guy who lost him more. So, yeah, thank you to everyone who's joined us this evening. There's a lot of you knocking around. Let's just shout you all out first. In YouTube, I was talking briefly to Joseph Austin earlier. Um, He goes, I had the game penciled in as a loss before the season, but to lose the way they did is a real bummer. Ain't that the truth? Grandizer12 is in the building. He said, should be a good show. Thank you, Grandizer, as always. I have got your messages on Facebook, Grandizer. I will respond to you later on. I've just had a very busy day prepping shows. Um, Bad news is I've not been able to get Jade on today to come and do a Vikings perspective. But the good news is we're sorting out. Good. Yeah, yeah, we're sorting out. Don't talk to a Vikings fan. (laughs) <laughs> but the good news, Grandizer, is we're setting up two full shows with her for the return fixture, a preview and a review show, so you'll get to see us together on stream. Thank you ever so much for that. Here's Johnny is in the chat. He says, epic collapse. Dan McGuinness still not over it, yet that seems to be the prevailing theme at this moment in time. On Twitch, I know Derek Bob Barrick's in there. Welcome to you. Ash is in there after winding up the entire panel. Thank you very much. Dan Pask is in the building. Um... Welcome to you. We've had a first-time chat from a part-time Ninja Turtle who says they really enjoy the show. Thank you ever so much. And he just said gutted for Swift and Walkie. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. But absolutely, I believe I've seen Big Aries 70 in there as well. You know, I'm a bit happier now. Now that 
you know, part-time Ninja Turtle. I have the Ninja Turtle theme tune in my head now and it's made me a little happier, so I appreciate that one there. Um, just thanks to some people who've joined us on Twitch. In terms of followers, we've got a few new followers on. Mhook75, Dream Jag, McVeigh, Rob, Cromon, and Rory Stafford. Thank you to you all for following us. Derek Bobaric has just sent us 100 bits as well, and I've just had a nice little... Twing, tw I don't know if twingles twinkle in my ear from him sending those. So, thank you very much for that. Um, all right, I'll just do the housekeeping before we get on with this. So, Roaring Lions UK Discord. It's not been a very nice place to be. The last 24 hours has been a bit of heartache and pain in there, but usually it's a very, very chill place, very enjoyable. So, if you want to come and get involved with us, just uh, just let us know, and I'll throw a link out there to you. College Football Podcast, me and Ryan are going to be back on Wednesday to talk about much happier things. We're going to take a look at week four of the uh, college season. We're going to preview week five and we're going to look through a few player requests that we've had as well. Don't forget to like and subscribe everything, YouTube, Twitch, all that. Thank you very much. We're approaching 600 on YouTube, so thank you to everyone who's followed us on there. We're over 100 on Twitch now and we're over 2,500 followers on Twitter. So we really appreciate all the backing you guys are giving us. And don't forget about Lions Nation. That's a very exciting draft room here. What on earth? Matt's put loads... Sorry, I apologise about that. Matt's put some... Oh, God. Matt's put loads of weird noises in here when people subscribe and stuff, and I've never heard them before. A part-time Ninja Turtle has just subscribed to us, Tier 1. Really appreciate that. I think that's what that was. So, yeah, thank you very much for subscribing. And the last one, Lions Nation Unite. We're a part of it. It's Herman Moore's pet projects, uh, content made by Detroit Lions fans, for Detroit Lions fans. So, and it's a good fun. All have all these sort of town halls and that on there. Ryan's been on, I've been on. Check them out. It's really good, and you get in-depth. Uh, reviews with Herman Moore himself as well. Who, who to uh, go to? Who knows the game better than a leg the legendary Detroit Lions wide receiver? So thanks ever so much for that. Right, let's crack on with this, guys. We are going to have to talk about this at some point. Um, yeah, difficult. One. I'm going to go through a little bit of news first. Some of it regarding the game. So um, safety Tracy Walker the third torn his Achilles during yesterday's matchup with the Vikings. His season is over. This is just one week exactly short of a year since Romeo Aquara did exactly the same in 2021 and we are not going to see and we have not seen him again since and it doesn't look like we're going to see him anytime soon. So all of us send in all our best wishes to Tracy Walker. Hopefully he's able to get fit, be back for next season but at least on the bright side, he gets to spend some more time with his with his newborn. Obviously not in the nicest of situations, but hopefully him and his family enjoy their time together and he comes back next year nice and strong. And then running back DeAndre Swift is also banged up. In addition to the injured ankle he's been playing through all season, he has now suffered a sprained shoulder playing against the Vikings. And um, just... The injuries continue to pile up, guys. I mean, it's hard luck for Tracy. Swift, it's getting to the point now where you're like, how many more injuries can he have, sustain? We really need him out there. I mean, what are the thoughts on these ones? Swift can get rid of get rid of him. I want him gone next year. He's a liability. I don't care what he can do. He's soft. He can't hack the NFL workload. He can't be a running back one. 
he isn't a team that he isn't a player that can carry a team because he's too fragile. We're not going to see him now, so I reckon at least after the bye, if not that. So I just I've lost all faith in him. I just don't trust him anymore that we're going to get much out of him. So 2023, go draft a running back and demote him or trade him because he does not have the durability or the availability that is required to be running back one. And it don't matter how good he is. Now, what good is two, three weeks? And then you miss three weeks. You just can't have that patchiness. So, no. At end of this year, I'm washing my hands of him one way or another because it's a good thing that we won't be paying him any point soon. So, yeah, I, I plan to replace him. And Walker, unfortunate. Another player we gave a contract extension to. Another player that counts big against the cat next year. Unfortunate injury. Safety depth is weak as piss. We need to bring somebody in because he's, the people that are going to be replacing him will be liabilities because they're totally inexperienced. So that's just another position to worry about. But there's no point complaining about it. The injury list is just going to grow weeks after weeks. We're going to, I expect many more players to wind up on IR or have seen any injuries because that's just what happens to us. So there's just no point stressing about it anymore. And Romeo, we're not, we won't see Romeo again as a lion. He won't be back this season, and he won't be. Uh, he'll be a casualty next year. I mean, it's just devastating. This is the third Achilles injury to a Lions defender in twelve months. Obviously, Akuda went down with one, or maybe just a little over twelve months. Basically, twelve months. Akuda went down with one. Thankfully, he's back. He's playing. Aquara, we've seen nothing of. Tracy, this is just killing us. And yeah, I, I, I don't like to talk about money with injuries. All, all I'll say is he does count eleven and a half million towards the cap next year that we have to guarantee, and if it's the same of Aquara's, then it's just, we've had so much money tied up in IR, and that it's just killed us, and unfortunately, again, it, it might happen again in this case, it's obviously, you know, you think about the player first and foremost there, rather than a cap implications, but it is not the greatest in the world, um, Grandad says this team makes a fan kill their bloody liver, that's true, we have more heartaches on this podcast than hairlines, um, which is not a good thing, it really is not a good thing. Here's Johnny says, there's some bright spots for the future, not for Cybert. Well, we'll talk about them later. But yeah, we are going to talk about the good as well as the bad today. It's not all we'll really negative. We all like to see both sides of the uh, spot here. We've got a few guys saying, can we not mention the name of a certain cornerback here? Well, we're going to have to mention him eventually in terms of this. So uh, you will have to bear with us on this one uh, on that one there. Dan Paskin, Twitch chat, is on about Jeff. Jeff had a good game. Yes, yes he did. We will talk about Jeff later. That is definitely one of the bright points from this weekend. Um, Amon Ra, Reynolds, Josh Reynolds, Dan Pass says, yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, do, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, the look on my face. I've never heard that noise before, so uh, that's a great one there. Derek Bobaric has gifted a one-month tier sub to Commander Root. Thank you ever so much for that. Derek, really appreciate that there. Uh, Big Aries says, it's a question for the strength and training staff. This keeps happening. Maybe a workout or prevention is needed. We'll talk about that later. We'll see. It's, let's see what the prevailing opinion is about this. But I guess there is something out there that has to be driving this level this high level of injuries, or maybe it's just incredibly bad. Look, um, we seem to have lost Steve very briefly, so hopefully we'll get him back soon. Um, let me just make sure I've not lost him anywhere. No, right, okay. We'll have Steve back with us in a minute. The other little bit of good news, I tried to end it up with something like this week. 
Former Detroit Lions quarterback Dan Orlovsky, he finally got to come out of the shadows and into the light this week as Jimmy Garoppolo managed to run out the back of the end zone for the San Francisco 49ers, replicating the feat that Dan has been much mocked for all those years ago. I think in back about 2007, I think it was when he does that, finally they get to laugh at another quarterback doing it as well. And, you know, Jimmy wasn't even close. He was well back there. It was... Uh, Bit of a rough one for him, that one, Ryan. Yeah, but we're throwing an exception, so actually we're throwing it. Stepping out of the end zone there was the best thing that could have happened. Yeah. Maybe he did it on purpose. That was genius. <laughs> he actually saved himself five points. <laughs> exactly. He threw a safety and a pick six in one play. It's that, That's quite quite the oppressive feat. Um, we got Steve back. I don't know where I'm, but... Uh, but I don't like anything that feeds Dan Zeke. I don't like anything that feeds Dan Zeke. I don't really like him. He's just always he's always stoking the fire. He's always just winding people up for no reason. This is not going to be a night for love from Ryan McCluskey. This is going to be a night of hate and anger and bitterness. Oh, you know, I think we get in the curse. Who's the rec- who's the who's the receiver who keeps giving us loads of praise? You know, the old receiver who's retired. But what's he? Oh, Des Bryant. Des Bryant loves the lines at the back. I feel like we're getting a Des Bryant curse from it. It's like Des, just calm it down a minute, all right, man. Just put down the blunt. <laughs> yeah, just stop, stop praising us because it obviously ain't working. Ever since he hopped on our hype train, it just all went to. Uh, if you care that much funny, about man. retirement, Christ, at least do something to help us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Part-time Ninja Turtle says, I think the Lions are just so hungry for progress that the coaching staff, even as well as the players, are willing to risk injury, which only hurts us in the long run. I mean, maybe... I mean, Steve, just quickly while you were going to mention about the injuries to Swift and Walker. Obviously, horrible one for Walker, but Swift continues to to struggle when it comes to injuries and availability. You know, you saw what a game-changer he is. He won us the game in Week 2, basically, with that touchdown. It changed momentum, won us that game. But when he's not on the pitch, when he's not healthy, he can't do that for us. And if he can't be on the field to do that for us, it's a problem. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't agree with Ryan on this. Like, I don't think we should give up on Swift. I, I completely understand about the... Um, you know the kind of lack of reliability, but there's plenty of like talent, star players. You know, look at I don't know someone like Alvin Kamara who has missed a lot of time in the last eighteen months, two seasons. I mean, you know, Swift is a genuine star player, and we've seen that. Um, but so I, I don't think just bidding him off is the answer. I, I think my worries are more like someone like Hawkinson, who. You know, while he's ter- while he's is a bit more reliable, he's just not producing what he should be for someone of his kind of stature in the team. Um, and yeah, Tracy Walker. I mean, if you if you'd have said to me last week, you know, name me the one defensive player you wouldn't want to go down for the season. For me, it'd be Tracy Walker because he's so pivotal, team captain. You know, the one kind of like cool head in in that secondary and. Yeah, that's a big loss for us. A real big loss. <laughs> um, Joseph replied to you there, right? He said, uh, put down the blunt, not at this time. I <laughs> probably agree. I think a lot of Lions fans would need it to cope at this moment in time after that ending yesterday. So, probably agree there with him. Here's Johnny says, three years of Swift been injured. Yeah, that's true. I mean, with Walker, the safety position now, I feel like... Because as much as this team annoyed me yesterday... 
it can still do something this year. And I don't want this year to go down the pan because we've got no safeties or no prospects ready. If I'm Brad Holmes, I want him to... Well, if, if I'm talking to Brad Holmes, I want him to go out and find a safety, whether it be you know someone on the free agent market or even trade for someone. I don't care if... People say good te- bad teams don't go into the trade market, but for me... You know, this could be long-term for Walker. We could be really out of it here. I want him in the trade market looking for someone, looking to bring someone in, looking to bring that leader here. I know some people would rather we stay in-house with Kirby. We're developing him. Some people want Iffy to play safety, but he's never played a snap there. I just feel like that's probably gross negligence and maybe giving up on the season if we don't at least try to fix it. I don't know what you two think about safety now Walker's gone. Do we get someone in or do we just suck it up and try and carry on as best as we can? If we suck it up, we're fucked. If we haven't seen anything from him, don't know if he can play safety. Kirby Joseph, rookie, totally untested, and Juju Hughes looks crap. He's a glorified special teamer. Shouldn't be anywhere near that starting lineup. If we go with the in-house method, it's fine by me. But Aaron Glenn won't be getting a head coach job next year because his defence will look like shit. So if we don't go and bring someone in, we're in trouble. There is options out there. I'd say there's Jaquis Guitar, I'd say there's Landon Collins, there's Adam Andrews, there's Adrian Colbert. There's free safeties out there that need work and that can come in and do a job. And they'll do a damn sight better than anyone that's basically still in an NFL nappy that needs their ass wiping because we don't have the bodies to wipe their ass and play two roles and try help a rookie. So we need to do something. Like you said, we won't be trade for anyone. I don't think they'll uh, I don't think they'll be bold enough or brash enough to even consider that. I think they'll just go down the damage limitation route. But yeah. If we go in house the season we'll be in jeopardy. Like say at best what do we bring back CJ Moore? Do we bring no. back all reliable? That Bring back all reliable like SpongeBob. That is not old reliable though. Thinking. You've got to have a past history of success to be old reliable. He doesn't. Well, he's a personal protector, so that's something, isn't it? Apparently, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think the you know, are, are we allowed to rant yet? Can I can I start? Go 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 ahead. I mean, I said at the I said at the start of the season that this is our first game of the season because. The, the Eagles game was just, we were never going to beat the Eagles. It was just to kind of, you know, see how much, um, I guess, how much spirit was in the team and could we make a game of it, the Eagles. So we did. And then the Commanders, you know, that's just like turning up and having a roll call before before your, your meeting or before your game. That's just like, you know, putting your hand up and saying, yeah, I'm here. We can beat, beat this lot. I said this would be the first game of the season because it's the first divisional game and it's that first game against a team that's kind of comparable to us that's going to be somewhere between 7 and 10 and 10 and 7 and that's what the Vikings are um, you know and we've completely I wouldn't say failed the test we've completely shown everyone where we are and where we are is not a winning team is not a playoffs team we're somewhere stuck in purgatory between Five, eleven, and one, and maybe like eight and nine if we're lucky. Because if we can't beat these Vikings, you know, with Dalvin Cook out in the second half with a ten-point lead, we're absolutely not going to finish with a winning record. We're not going to get anywhere near the playoffs. 
And yeah, if Tracy Walker's down, we may as well just patch it up because there's no point bringing in, you know, a free agency signing and spending a lot of cap space when we we can't do the basics to beat a team like the Vikings when we're in front, when we've got our foot on their throat, and we just absolutely cock the shotgun and blow our own toes off. So you know that's that's kind of how I'm feeling after this. Wow, Steve firing the first salvos today. Well, I mean. Let's get into the game a bit then, because I want to talk about who's to blame for this, the coaches, the players, etc. when we're done talking about the game, so we can segue into that there. But um, yeah, I, I think they need to get safety help. I think they need to go out there and find someone. You give up. You can't afford another bad season here. You can't afford another two, three win season, losing lots of games because of all the injuries and that. I think you've got to at least try and make an effort to go out there and get some covering for Tracy. Because this might translate to next year as well. Like I say, if he follows Romeo's timeline, he ain't going to be fit next year and you've got to do something. And I know I've seen in the chat, I've seen in Twitch people saying we've invested two-thirds at safety. Technically, we haven't because if he's not a safety, he's a cornerback. But Kirby needs work. That's why he ain't playing at the minute. And if you throw him in too early, you could ruin him. You've got to be very careful with how you put these players into the side. So... I mean, I don't think you can call it for safety because we've not seen him at safety. That's what um, I mean. That's what I mean. People saying uh, we've invested two thirds. I don't know what he is. Yeah, people saying we've invested yeah. two thirds in safety in the last two years. Technically, we haven't because he's not a safety, really. I don't think he is, but I don't think you can just let these young guys in there. Yeah, I think you've got to try and go out and find a vet presence and get someone in there because Deshaun Elliott's doing well. I'll give him that. He's doing really well, but you need someone to go with him. Can't afford to have these youngsters out there getting cooked. So. Well, we'll come back onto it in a bit, but I think it's a serious situation that we need to address. Um, Lions talk with Micro. Mike is in the building. Great to have you in, sir. I know you feel along the same lines as me here. We're all disappointed this week. Ken Stout is in the building. Thank you for joining as always. So is Money 447 Thank you to everyone coming in here. If you've got any questions or anything, keep putting them in the chat. I'm checking every now and then, so, you know, just keep getting them in there and we'll discuss anything you want us to. Joseph says, is Ify nearly healthy? I believe so. I think he's fully healthy. I think he got healthy scratched last week, I'm pretty sure. Another thing is, he won't get healthy scratched again, I'll tell you that. So let's get into the game. Um, so, Viking, uh, Lions 24, Minnesota 28. So, um, obviously, Matt does this a little different, Steve. Usually, he does a drive-by-drive drive and goes through it bits by games and everything. All I'm going to do, um, I'm going to go through each half one by one, ask you about your thoughts on the half, etc. And then afterwards I've broke it down into some talking points. So I've got some of the players on here. I know people want to talk about Marty, TJ, all this. So we'll do the game first, we'll do the players after, and we'll just uh, crack on at it that way. So in terms of the game itself, the inactive list... John Kaminsky, obviously going to be on there. He's out for a few weeks. Drew Forbes, the offensive guard. Jonah Jackson misses another week because of the finger injury at guard. Chase Lucas, the cornerback. Ifiatu Melifonwu, listed as safety. James Mitchell, the tight end. And Demetrius Taylor at defensive tackle. I can tell you one thing. Lucas Melifonwu and Taylor will not be on that inactive list next week. Or at least they damn well shouldn't be. So... Games start, you know. Games started for both sides. Positive offensive drives. DJ Chark got into the game early for the Lions, which was a good thing to see. Two good catches for him. Dalvin Cook obviously started slicing us up straight away at the start for the Vikings. He's just been a pain in our ass ever since he came into the league. But ultimately, 
Both drives stalled out, led to field goal opportunities, and yes, we're going to talk about that guy, Austin Seibert. He doinked his attempt from 48 yards for the Lions, a sign of things to come. And Greg Joseph for the Vikings, he shanked his so far wide right that reports had it landing somewhere in Canada. It was an awful kick, and I don't know if they recovered the ball from it. Um, the Lions got on the board on the next drive, though, thanks to a huge fourth down conversion. Um, Lions were at 51 yards away from a field goal attempt. Campbell says, I ain't going back to side, but Lions went for it on fourth down. Amon Ra made a 30-yard play, got us right down to the Vikings two, set up Jamal Williams to take it in at the first attempt, and great start for the Lions. First points on the board. And then we can never have anything nice. Tracy Walker, that's when we suffered the injury of him. He managed to get off, you know, he managed to get off the field, but then he was taken into the uh, back via cart. But the defense, to its fairness, it managed to get off the field. We got the offense back on. The next offensive drive was a grind. We had two fourth down conversions. The second of them was right at the start of the second quarter, but we were able to convert on both. The lines were very aggressive, very smart with the play call, and the Vikings were chasing shadows all over the field. And Jared Goff ended the drive with a five-yard touchdown pass to TJ Hawkinson. Lions up 14-0 after that, because Cyber can at least hit point after attempts. Um... Vikings, they then got back into this game. Dalvin Cook was just causing us problems all day, running for big chunk plays, really opened the play-action book out for Kirk Cousins, which is where he really excels. Made it all the way to the end zone, but the Lions did think they had a third down stop. Unfortunately, the Zebras exist, and the Zebras don't like the Lions, and the refs made one of the worst calls I've ever seen them make against the Lions, which is some, some going. Penalised Mike Hughes for a hold on Justin Jefferson. Seriously, I have been touched more by people who have been like going through a doorway with at the same time and just sort of scooching past them. There was very little contact there whatsoever, but the refs couldn't wait to throw that flag down. The Vikings wide receivers all day were whiny little children. Every time a pass was not completed, you saw them looking at the refs, begging for a flag. The ball was nowhere near him. It was miles away. He could have given him a big-ass hug and kept him there, and he still wouldn't have made it to that thing. Don't know what the refs saw, but anyhow, gave him a penalty on the one-yard line. They ran it in. Oh, sorry, they didn't. Adam Thielen got the touchdown. He had the freedom of Detroit in the end zone. Someone lost him. Kirk Cousins were one of the easiest passes in his life. 14-7. Then things really started to go wrong. Amon Ross St. Brown got hobbled. He had to go off for treatment. Um, and then the Lions paid for dancing with the devil on all these fourth downs. The Vikings stopped us at midfield. We gave them a short field to work with at our own 49. They converted a fourth down and a third down of their own on that drive, both to Adam Phelan again, both <coughs> on a certain Lions cornerback, and then Dalvin Cook walked in a touchdown to round the outside, to round the outside to level the game up. Lions ended the half with a really disappointed three and out, and the Vikings nearly even had time to take the lead thanks to the efforts of Amani Arawari, who gave away a huge uh, pass interference penalty, put the Put the Vikings nearly in field goal range. They got one more pass going, but thankfully Charles Harris showed some real good shithousery here. He knocked the ball out of Garrett Bradbury's hands when they were trying to line up to spike the ball for a field goal, and unfortunately they ran out of time. And Kevin O'Connell was absolutely apoplectic, but that was justice for that absolutely 
garbage PI call. Um, said this on Twitter, guys. This this half was 50% beauty and 50% beast. Steve, I'll start with you. What what did you make of this first half? And um, just on that last point, um, fair play to Charles Harris for reading the Sergio Ramos handbook. Uh, excellent work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But what did you make of the half itself, Steve? Um, I mean, just a couple of sort of you know positives and negatives for me. First of all, we've got an offense. Like we've genuinely got an offense this year because during that half, our O line, you know, I wouldn't say bullied the Vikings. But we moved people about and we created some good running lanes and, you know, we gave Jamal Williams some space. Swift had a couple of runs um, and, you know, we've got some receivers like, you know, Goff had plenty of, of targets to work with until some Brown kind of, you know, noticeably dropped off after getting, um, you know, get, picking up an injury. So I thought Goff was really good. Um didn't do anything spectacular, but didn't do anything stupid. Um, kind of a bit game managery, but you know he made some throws, um, and you know it, it felt all the way through like we could gain yards on the Vikings and we could gain chunk plays when we need needed to. So for me, that was like a real positive. Um, on the flip side, first of all. I kind of think that the whole Dan Campbell pumping them up attitude is making them too brave because St. Brown shouldn't have been on the field in the second half, in my opinion. Like, he, he just disappeared. I think he made w one catch, um, but he just didn't look good. And I'm really hoping that he's not worsened, like, whatever he's picked up and whether it's, you know, he's going to be out for a game or two games, whereas maybe he'd have been able to get away with it. Also, Hutchinson, like, from what I saw of Hutch in the first two games, I can't believe that that thigh injury wasn't limited, limited to him. I mean, Christian Darasaw absolutely bodied him for most of the half. Like, Hutch just wasn't a factor. Um, and for me, that's got to be something to do with the injury. I can't imagine that Darasaw's that good to contain him based on what I saw against the Eagles and against the Commanders. I don't know what, what your thoughts are, but like for me, it, I, I just hope he, he's he's not gonna like try and play every snap all season and we're gonna he's gonna pick up a serious injury. Yeah, well I've um, I've broken down the offensive first defensive line stats for us to chat about afterwards. So we'll go into it more there, but I do agree I was disappointed with our defensive line in this one. They were not really good. Ryan, um first half 50% beauty, 50% beast, maybe a little bit of other bits in between. What what did you make of the first half as a whole? I'd say 30-70, more beast. Defence is fucking abysmal. Run, de run defence, dreadful. It's pathetic. They just do little bootlegs, they just do little reverses and cutbacks. He puts his foot in the ground, turns the other way, and the linebackers just go, oh, well, we've been washed this way. We can't bother to tear back and keep contained. It's child's play. Minnesota have made us look stupid now for like last four or five games. They have such a simple scheme, and we can't do anything about it. It's just 
infuriating. Secondary, outside of Akuda, dog shit. Like I say, it's pathetic. Like I say, Amani might as well have had Giorgio out there, fucking Aura Warrior. Like I say, he can, he's a total liability. I don't want him. Give him a new contract on rice paper and then take it off him and fucking eat it in front of him and tell him to get out of the building. Like I said, I've washed my hands with him. Mike Hughes, just, he's a liability, isn't he? He's got his paycheck. He's put in one good performance. He's going to be another, uh, oh, who was that tip? Uh, Justin, who's in nickel that we didn't like that just took loads of money off? Justin Coleman. Yeah, he's going to be another Justin Coleman, he's Mike Hughes. He'll put in a few good performances and then he'll be crap the rest of the time. So, yeah, offence. Well, we've been found out, haven't we? Like I say, when we don't have Swift, when we don't have Amon Ra, we are one-dimensional. TJ, you find can have your touchdown. TJ Hawkinson does not like what he wants to be here after three weeks. And I'm fine with him not being here in the future. I have just lost all patience with him. Like I say, he just, he just doesn't look interested. I'm not interested in him. Chark starts quickly, just goes missing. Like I say, he just goes missing for large portions of the game, and we paid him ten million dollars for one year. Like I say, and I thought this guy could be raving, but nope, he just goes walk about for large periods. Goff was good. Goff escaped sacks on three first downs, and scrambled on one of them twice, threw it away. And just managed to just live again to second down. But, yeah, he did not get very much help all day. Offensive line, fine. Player calling, okay in the first half. But, no, we should have been losing at the half. We we were good for about the best part of a quarter. And they dominated that second quarter. They We just were going three and out. It was back to that old repetitive player calling. And, yeah. We knew where it was going at halftime, didn't we? Like you say, we all had that awful sinking feeling in our stomach. And I am worried how one-dimensional we'll be without Swift and if Amon Ra has picked up a knock. So, yeah, I it was damage limitation. Like I said, to get in at the half, all square, I felt we were very fortunate. See... I'm a bit more upbeat on the first half here. I, I thought that we actually did well for good parts of this. I thought Ben Johnson's play calling initially was really good. The Vikings were chasing shadows for a lot of the time, especially the two scoring drives. They got inventive on fourth downs. The only trouble is when your fourth down conversion rate is better than your third down conversion rate, it's not a sustainable model of success. And I agree that maybe the aggression is getting to them a little bit in terms of they've been too brave. That that one that we lost at midfield when it led, led to the second touchdown, we shouldn't have gone for that. We should flat out have punted that. We've got one of the most elite punters in the NFL, and sometimes when you're at midfield, you use him. Put some pressure on him instead. Put some pressure on the Vikings instead. I, I thought they just danced with the devil one too many times with those fourth down conversions. But overall, I thought it was decent. You know, you have ebbs and flows in a game, and I think that pass interference call, I thought that was a big game changer. The big difference if they kick a field goal there on a fourth down compared to rushing in a touchdown, I think the refs had a bad effect on this game, and I didn't like the way that they were really favouring the Vikings here with some really bad calls. I know Amon Ra got hit on the ground after making a pass, after catching a pass deliberately. They didn't call it on him. There were a lot of pass interference calls that were sketchy at best. So. Yeah, I, I, I thought the first half was alright. 
I'm glad that we didn't let them get in at the half. I think, you know, especially with the Charles Harris thing, I was glad because, like Ryan said, I think we held on a little bit towards the end of the half. But no, overall, yeah. The penalty that. I don't know how we got away with that. That was a blatant delay of game. It, it, it is, but it's a bit of vet savvy. After that PI call, I really didn't mind. So, yeah, going into the half, I was a bit of both, but you're on the road, you're level. At least you've got the chance to um, turn things around and, um, you know, make a go of it in the second half. And we'll, we'll go through the second half um, now. Uh, do, 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 do we have this to? Is, um, yes, Steve, we do, unfortunately. Oh. This is this is why we started Alliance Podcast. We started talking about... Oh. This is we have to discuss everything. We can't just discuss. I would say we just can't discuss the good, but you know, you're not, you've not really discussed the good yet either. So, <laughs> anyhow, I, I said Goff was good. Even Ryan said Goff was good. Goff was good, and anyone who says otherwise in this game is wrong. I mean, he was really good, and he looks a lot better at this moment in time. So that's a good thing. But we will talk about the goods at the end of this game as well. So, uh, second half started. Great three and out from the Lions. Start the second half because we were worried about momentum. But, yeah, it was just a three and out for the Vikings. Uh, we were able to get points on the board on the first drive of the half. Again, we had to go through a fourth down conversion, but it ended up just been a field goal. And, thankfully, this time, Siebert, like, put a magnet in the ball or something and it found its way through the upright. So, you know, three-point lead there. Another defensive stop by the Lions forced the Vikings to hit a field goal and Greg Joseph shanked it right again. They gave us a lot of chances in this one, but he looked awful kicking the ball yesterday, even worse than Seibert. Uh, this gave the Lions good field position. We were at our own 46. Receptions to Amon Ra and Reynolds were able to get us down to the Vikings 13, and Jamal Williams punched it in on the ground once more. He's been quietly very good on the ground in the red zone this year, Jamal Williams has, and they found themselves 10-0 up. Unfortunately, the refs decided they wanted to get involved again and they penalised Williams for his celebration afterwards, which was an utter joke. Um, gave the Vikings good field position, I think put it on their own 35, but here was the turning point in the game. Turnover. We never, ever, 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 ever get turnovers really, but here we did. Dalvin Cook hit one of his own offensive linemen, fumbled the ball injured himself in the process and Deshaun Elliott was able to recover. Dalvin Cook was in like I say was injured, he was ruled out on that play alone. That was the, the big threat of theirs gone this day. Huge opportunity for the Lions, but here's where I started to lose a little bit of faith. Um three and out. They threw the ball three times on a three and out. They basically took about ten seconds off the clock gave the ball straight back to the Vikings to start the fourth with. And that's when you started wondering about the strategy. Where were the runs? Where was the milk in the clock? There were a lot of issues here, but Vikings started the fourth with the ball. Alex Anzalone came up with a huge sack on Kirk Cousins, the only sack of the day for either team. So, you know, who would have guessed that at the start of the day? Anzalone getting the only sack out of everybody. Answer, nobody. Minnesota couldn't recover the yardage. They punted. Unfortunately, Khalif Raymond decided to let the ball drop. It rolled all the way into the 10, put the Lions in really bad field position. But the offense could not get it going again. They got one first down via a penalty and then went for a deep throw out of shotgun on a third and one. 
which Josh Reynolds was very questionable on as it ended up some ways away from him. Now some people have said the sun was in his eyes, he just lost it. There are a lot of ones on this one, but it was a very bad play. It's third and one in shotgun. Come on, run the damn ball over the line. You're working it with Williams, but nope, they threw it. Uh, we had to punt. Vikings got the ball on their own 43, and then the Lions imploded. Amani gave up back-to-back -back penalties to keep the drive moving, and the Vikings made it to the six. Then the most disgusting play of the entire day from our defense. Alexander Matheson. He took more shots than the walls of Jerusalem during the Crusades, and yet he somehow managed to get the ball into the end zone and run it in there. He got hit at least four times. No one took him down. He ran it in. That was absolutely disgraceful from the Lions' defense. 24-21, and you kind of got a feeling then that something's not really going right for us here. Lions offense countered. We had some good runs from Williams, got to midfield, but we got stuffed on back-to-back -back plays. We had a third and eight. Um, St. Brown got the ball for a first down. It was a nine-yarder, set up another big play, but uh, we got to fourth down again. Fourth and one at the Vikings' 30-yard line. Could have opted for the field goal, didn't. No faith in Cyber apparently at that point. Um, but Jamal Williams got stuffed on the run. They ran a counter play, Jamal Williams. It got found out. I think it was Zadarius Smith, if I remember rightly, just completely and utterly blew the play up. By this point, the Vikings, 3.30 left. Ball on their own 30. Driving to take the lead of it. Cousins found Phelan, but then the drive stopped. And we, we, forced, a, we forced a three and out on this one. They were fourth and eight. Cousins went for Arawarie. Arawari kind of got away with a hold. One of the few ones he got away with this team, but it was incomplete. Probably the one call of the day that the Vikings actually should have got that the rest didn't give, even though the rest gave them about a dozen they didn't deserve. Um, 2.32 left, two timeouts for the Vikings. The Lions have the ball, you think. Right, let's go to work, let's put it to bed here. Uh, Minnesota got holding penalty, gave Detroit one first down, but we were not able to get another I mean, at this point, they didn't even look like they were trying in the run game. It was disgusting. Again, they just were losing yardage. Didn't even look like they were trying to block or make a positive play at this point. I mean, we milked some clock, but then then the big call came. Fourth and four at Minnesota's 34-yard line. What do you do? Do you kick a field goal, which would be a record for your kicker, who has been kicking like, you know, kicking like someone Shit. who's never kicked before all day? Do you punt it? Or do you go for it? Because we've got enough fourth downs on the day. Maybe you go for it. But, or you give it to your special teams ace, your punter. Put them down in their five. Send the entire house at Kirk Cousins, who's got no timeouts to work with, under all the pressure in the world. Go ahead and win the game. Nope. We gave it to Austin Cyber. Put it on the line. 44-yard line. And he missed. It wasn't even close. It never looked like it was going in. And that decision backfired. Kirk Cousins started off at their own 44-yard line. No timeouts. One minute, ten left. It took them three plays to get in our end zone. A massive, big-ass buster coverage allowed KJ Osborne to get in the end zone. Uh, he had the freedom of Detroit as well. There were 45 seconds left. But we burned all our timeouts on questionable calls earlier in the half. We had no time left. Goff ended up throwing a pick. That wasn't on him. That's in desperation mode, throwing Hail Marys down the field. And that was all she wrote. Um, Ryan, I'll start first with you this time. 
what did you make of that <laughs> second half? Oh, I wish I'd stopped watching it after that fumble because every, everything after that was a fucking car crash. Dan Campbell and Ben Johnson hang your head in shame. Abysmal. It was pathetic, the player calling. They did everything they could to lose that game. <laughs> a run team that is unable to eat clock. Like I say, we, it was just, it was awful. We fully deserved to lose that game in every sense of the word. After going, we came out the half, got the stop, which was good. Let's say we get the ball, and let's say they give it to the poverty kicker. That by the time his pod's done, I want him to get the fuck out of Detroit. Let's say work out anyone because I'm sick to death of shit kickers. And then just like say the the Reynolds pass, hot well. I don't know what to say. Like, say Dan Campbell's come out and made this excuse. Say, said that they lost it. Like, say he just lost sight of it. He couldn't track it. I don't want Dan Campbell to come out and make bullshit excuses. I want Josh Reynolds to come out and lie to us through his teeth as well. He can give the bullshit excuse. So, I'm not happy with stuff that's come out after the game because I'm sick of uh, accountability and excuses. So, that was annoying. Oh, what was that? The, the conversion when we tried to throw that hard pass to TJ that would have missed by about five yards even if they caught it. That was another spectacular player call on third and what? Third and one? Instead of running the ball again? Yeah. And then, yep, that was another abysmal player call. And then we had the pass where we tried to throw it to Reynolds, but it was almost interception because it basically hit Patrick Peterson in the back. That was an awful player call on a fourth and one where we could have just used a running back and punched it in. So that was another time that we uh, gave the ball back. Luckily for us, their kicker was just as crap. So they just gave us those extra lifelines that we didn't really deserve. Fourth and four. <laughs> oh, that, that was funny. Just punt. Is All we had to do was just punt it. Just try get them in the 10 and make them go 90 yards in about a minute with no timeouts. If we'd have punted... Uh, down to their five, and they'd have gone 95 yards and scored and won, I'd have been like, do you know what? That was great clock management. They called a really good game-winning drive, and I respect that. But no, you go to a kicker that has got a noodle leg that you don't trust to make a career long field goal when he's already missed from 48 because, I don't know, he's wearing beer goggles. He can't kick for his life. To then suddenly trust him, I say, if it had gone for fourth and four and gone for it and not converted, I'd have respected that a lot more than a a wimpy field goal attempt. But the moment that we turned the ball over there, we all said in the chat, game over, momentum gone, wiped out. You give him a short field. They had the ball at the forty-four yard line. Most teams in the NFL, a CFL team could have had a good shot at trying to get the end zone when they only had half the field to work with. And then they called timeout. We stopped the clock for them at like 50 seconds. Like, what was that about? That was, that was another bizarre decision. Dan Campbell had a, a lot to answer for in this game because he made some really poor judgments. And I've seen a list of them today. He's apologised now about eight times for player calls that have potentially lost his games in two years. And... I like accountability. I know Matt Patricia didn't give it, but I am kind of sick of him hearing it. And I would 
I bet with my kidneys that he hasn't got a chance of seeing anywhere near this six-year deal he signed. If we lose two or three games this year, he's in real trouble. I tell you what, like, if we have a business season here out, he's in real trouble. And then to call a timeout before the game-winning player and then Aaron Glenn to say and come out like, oh, no, there was another miscommunication. How? How do you have a miscommunication in a secondary that's just had, like, a minute to discuss what not what to do? Like I say, it was just abysmal and shot ourselves in the foot and just... Just another way of us finding game way to lose games. Because that game was on the plate. So It don't matter if people out there saying, oh, well, I chalk this up as an L. Don't give a shit if you chalk it up as an L. If it's there to be won, go win it. That's not an excuse. Too many people on Twitter making excuses for Lions. Stop it, because I won't do it. So, yeah, it was just a cataclysm of errors, everything after the fumble. So yeah, but I believe the justification for the timeout was to try and get the edge rushers a breather and to you know give them the best chance to make success. But they had precious. The line. They had the yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the greed is they they had precious little success all day. So I don't really know what he saw that giving a breather to a unit that had had a really bad game was going to do. Um, I can understand the justification, but sometimes you have to. Um, you have to trust your specialists, and when your specialists ain't doing the job right, you know, just just go with it. Put the pressure on them. Hope that they screw up, and not you. So it is a weird one. Um, Steve, the second half in general, obviously, you know, so we, we we rebounded well initially. You know, we said the momentum was all with them at the first half. At the end, we put ten points on the board. We create another cushion for ourselves. We're playing well, and then everything from that three and out after the strip sack just seemed to go wrong what 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 did you make of it well i think when when you're 10 points up or i, I think we were at, at that point the defense has to hold but a defense is not going to be able to hold when it's got like a blatantly glaring hole in it that is just going to leak water, and this was Amani Oruwariye. Um, so he was targeted eleven times, okay, eleven times, and he allowed nine catches, seventy-nine yards, and a touchdown, plus six of the Lions' eight penalties. I mean, that is just like an absolute hemorrhage in our secondary. And what I don't understand is when. You know, this is meant to have been the most competitive training camp ever. How can you have someone who puts in like this performance, who the opposition absolutely zero in him? I mean, Kirk Cousins was just looking for him at every opportunity, and you know, I'm not saying he single-handedly lost us the game, but he was a massive factor because in the modern NFL, when quarterbacks are airing the ball out, you cannot have a cornerback that is such a liability. And the fact that they kept him on the field, I just can't see the rationale for that. Like, surely they could have put someone else in, even just for a few plays, just to try and staunch the bleeding. But it was, it was just baffling. And as, as Ryan said, the miscommunication, like Mike Hughes, I don't know what he was thinking. They had so much time to sort out coverage. You know, I, I feel really sorry for Jeff Acuda. Um, I think... When Jeff Acuda was one-on-one with Jefferson, he was targeted four times 
and he allowed two catches for nine yards and he had one pass breakup. And this is against Justin Jefferson, you know, much vaunted, you know, is he the, the best wide receiver in the NFL? He's certainly top three or four. And when you think about how Akuda's come back from injury and the shift that he put in, I've no idea what he's thinking, just like turning his head around and looking at the other side of the field and just seeing this like absolute um, clusterfuck in, in front of his eyes. So I think that, that was that. And, and going back to this most competitive training camp ever, did we not just have a kicker battle in training camp? Did we not have two kickers who were really similar, um, you know, and they've had, you know, six weeks and three practice games to, like, work out who's the best? And we get that from Siebert? I mean, like, oh, my God. Um, I, I think just to be, you know, just to kind of spread out the blame, there were a couple of other things that really fucked us up. Um you know the, the the punt and allowing that punt to roll. I think that was um, was that Khalif Raymond. Yeah, 20, twenty-two yards that punt rolled, and then Jack Fox, who's been super reliable, did probably his worst punt I can remember for about a year. I think he like ended up going thirty-five yards. Um, I mean, so special teams wasn't great, but the secondary and. And yeah, that that was not a premium offensive line in the NFL. And the fact that we know the key to the game is pressurizing Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is an interception machine when he's up against pressure. All the stats back this up. Um, and we just didn't get anywhere near him all night. Like I said, Anzalone had like the one hit. So for, for me, I, I don't think you can put any of this on the offense. This is very much the defense's you know in terms of how we gave it up um and and yeah in terms of Campbell punt the ball also you know, you don't need to be a mathematician to go well with three points up and a field goal will bring us three points which the Vikings can still score once and win the game why the fuck did we try and kick a field goal to go six points up punt the ball pin them back at that point I don't think they had a single play over 20 yards um, so we'd been containing them yeah they'd been getting first downs they'd been moving the chains but there were no chunk plays and then all of a sudden you know we, we give them the break and then I think then it's 29 yards to KJ Osborne oh I mean you know I could have puked up my spleen in those last 10 minutes it was absolutely shocking All right, well, and, and, and so frustrating we had them they were on the floor. We had the foot on the throat. Dalvin Cook, the number one weapon, out with a shoulder injury. You know, Justin Jefferson, absolutely stacked up by Akuda. We had them. We fucking had them. The Vikings, a divisional game. Oh. Yeah, I, th I think that was the really annoying thing here. The Vikings were not good. The Vikings were not good at all. And, you know, a lot of people said we shouldn't be expecting to win this game, etc., etc. Well, they were bad and they were there to be had and we gave it away and we had more than enough opportunities to put it away. It was um, it was very disappointing. Um, we'll come back to the whole where do we think the blame lies, etc. at the end when we do the conclusion here. I just want to break down into some individual players and units, just see how some of the guys did. So I did it last week. I want to start with the... The trenches first, because obviously it's so much 
where we've invested heavily and I'm always looking to see how we're doing because a lot of draft capital etc in there that we need to uh, that we need to see come good so in terms of the Lions offensive line Taylor Decker he graded out at 59 overall um, he had a 44 grade for run blocking gave up one quarterback hit and two quarterback hurries on 45 pass blocking snaps Dan Skipper had a 51 PFF grade, worse than Decker, 55 in run blocking, fairly better than him. Gave up three quarterback hurries on 45 pass blocking snaps, graded 40 in pass protection. Frank Ragnow graded 65, 61 for run blocking, zero pressures allowed on 45 pass block snaps. Evan Brown coming in at right guard for Logan Stenberg, he graded at 49 overall, by far the weak link in this line. 53 for run blocking, three quarterback hurries allowed on 45 pass blocking snaps. He graded 36 in pass pro. Pinay Sewell, rare bright spot on there, graded 77. His run blocking terrific at 83. He gave up two quarterback hurries on 44 pass blocking snaps, but outside of that, he excelled in all aspects of the game. The Lions gave up zero sacks, just one quarterback hit, and 13 quarterback hurries on the day. So pressure-wise, they traded Stenberg for Brown, and you know what you're getting with that. You're downgrading in the run game, you're upgrading in pass pro. In terms of the pass pro, they did upgrade. Jared Goff had no hits on him all day. Still had some pressure, but it was better there. But the run, the run blocking grade dropped by 10, and they really struggled with it this time. Um, I don't know. What did you guys make of the decision to bench Stenberg, put in Brown there? Obviously, you've seen it worked in terms of pass protection. Goff was safe, but that run game looked nowhere near as fluid as it did last week. And I was saying, at the end of the game, when you're trying to get a first down and run it out... Jamal Williams was not even getting back to the line of scrimmage before he was getting hit. It just seemed like there was no effort put in the run game. And, and that's what happens when you give up Stenberg in this situation. Do you think the decision was justified and worked? Or what are your thoughts on that one? I personally don't think Stenberg would have made any difference. I just... I don't think he'd help the run game. Like I said, the player calling... Well... If you want to try and run up the middle ten times, then wonder why you don't eat any clock. Well, you can look at how we ask them to run. Right, so it, for me, the offensive line was fine. Like I said, they had to go pass ball. Like I said, because they had some pretty, we kept elite pass rush potentially in check, and I think that was had to be the priority this week. Like I said, Zedaria Smith, Danielle Hunter. They both had quiet games, and I think that was priority to stop them getting to Goff, which was prioritised over a run game. And going forward as well now, if there's lost Swift now, I reckon this is going to be a pass-pro line. I don't see Stenberg coming back on Sunday because I don't think running the ball will now become a priority. I think, like I say, we will try and go through the air. So I, I, think, I, I think we had an opportunity the decision to now has probably been taken away from them. I think with Harrison Smith not playing, like that's their centerpiece in like the middle of the field, just completely absent. So for me, I, you know, I don't know what you you two boys think, but I wanted Hawkinson to come and absolutely dominate the middle of that field with lots of short little routes for gains of six, seven, eight yards. Like surely that was Hawkinson territory. I I just didn't see any of it. No, no, it was twenty-three. Hawkinson. 
2022 Hawkinson don't exist. Yeah, yeah. I am getting very close to hoping at the deadline someone makes an offer and shipping him out because right now he is holding this offense back. He is looming like an albatross around the neck and there ain't a chance I'm giving him 14, 15 million. If he asks, like, say, top 10 money at like 13, 14 million dollars a year, that is getting too rich for my blood. Like, uh, I, the player right now just does not warrant it. So, do you, do you agree with the decision to drop Stenberg for Evan Brown, Steve? Obviously, like I say, pass protection, it worked a dream and kept him pretty much safe for the day, but that run game did not look as swift. And when you see the breakdowns of the videos, how they're playing, Logan Stenberg's very critical in getting to that initial block when they swing getting round through the left. Because, you know, it's Taylor Decker and Dan Skipper. Their run, their run block rates were well down this week, and we run most of our routes through there because we pull all the guys across to help them. He was not there this week, and you've seen the impact he has in the game. Obviously, pass pro is bad, and you are going to run the risk of Goff getting hit in this one. But late in the game, when we needed the run game to get his first downs and potentially win us the game, I felt like we missed him a little bit. Well, I, th- I think Evan Brown's really good at, as a backup centre, isn't he? But I'm, I'm not sure that that was his best position where we played him today. No, I don't, I don't know. It's a tough one. Like you say, you've made the decision to protect golf because Stemmo was giving up hits and it's paid off, but I feel like it may have come at the cost of the run game, which may have cost us the game. So it's it's a very tough call there. In terms of the Vikings' defensive line, Daniil Hunter graded 84. Three quarterback hurries, three tackles, three run stops. Gave up two receptions for a combined one yard. So... Really good day for him. Zadarius Smith graded 82. Five quarterback hurries, three tackles, two run stops, graded 80 in run defense. Dalvin Tomlinson graded 78. Three quarterback hurries for him. Harrison Phillips, the defensive tackle, graded 66, but he was over 70 against the run. Four tackles, three stops, only two missed tackles between all four of them. They were really stout during the day and backing them up the linebacking core. You had, um, where are we, DJ Wanham, the outside linebacker, graded 76 against the run. You've got uh, Eric Kendricks, graded 78 against the run. And even the secondary, Chandon Sullivan, 70. Cameron Burnham, 70. You know, these guys defend, you know, these guys broke what we normally do very well is run the ball. And our offensive line is supposed to dominate sides like this and be able to get through that interior and... You know, fair play to the Minnesota D-line. They perform well on the day. But, I mean, they at the end of the day, they shut, they shut down what we're good at. Stopped us running. I thought, I thought Eric Kendricks had a really good game. Like, he was at the centre of everything and in the middle of that field. And, you know, there was not a lot going on. Um, and any potential runs were snuffed out very quickly. And I thought, yeah, I thought their, O-line, uh, their D-line was good. But, yeah, Kendricks was... You know, was exactly the sort of player that we're missing in the middle of the field. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, they 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 stopped the run. They did uh, they did a lot there. So Minnesota, they have one quarterback hit, seventeen hurries on the day. So that's quite light production in terms of finished product from those edge rushers. The offensive line really did its job there. The Minnesota offensive line for so long now it's been mid. It's not been great. It's always been there to be exposed. And doing the review last week, the obvious threat to this, the obvious weakness in this line was the interior. 
Garrett Bradbury had given up eight pressures on the season, Ed Ingram seven, Ezra Cleveland six. They've got a lot of pressure going through the interior of that offensive line. Well, um, they bodied us in this one. Left tackle Christian Darasaw graded 90 by PFF. No pressures given up. No hurries allowed. He dominated Aiden Hutchinson and everyone he came up against. His run blocking grade was fantastic as well, both in the high 80s. Ezra Cleveland, the left guard, graded 72, just gave up one quarterback hurry. Garrett Bradbury, the centre, graded 78, just one quarterback hurry given up. Ed Ingram, the right guard, this was the weak link here, graded 41, gave up two quarterback hits and one quarterback hurry. He struggled a lot with Aleem McNeil in there. That was one of the few battles we were winning on that defensive line. And Brian O'Neill, the right tackle, graded 62, gave up two quarterback hurries. They allowed four quarterback hits and seven hurries for a total of 11 pressures on the day for the Detroit Lions. The Lions had 50 through the first two games and they came up with just 11 against this Minnesota offensive line, which with all due respects to it is not the creme de la creme in this league. But boys, the offensive line of theirs dominated us all day and Kirk Cousins looked like he was a man who had all the time in the world to do his business with us. I mean, it's not hard to dominate when the defensive line was just terrible. Julian Aquara, like I said, I can't wait to get rid of him. People keep seeing, like, oh, he's got all his potential. Not a single hurry. 13 snaps out there, look like Bambi on ice. What is he doing? Like, what, what actually does he bring to this team? Because he doesn't generate pressure. Ian Hutchinson, absolutely no use in his current state. If he's going to put in a performance like that, if he's going to be that healthy, don't play him on Sunday. Because that's, he is of no use to us in his current physical state. He's gimpy. He can't finish. Like I said, we haven't seen any of the pass rush arsenal yet. He hadn't had to use any of it. We've just seen just raw brutality and speed so far through three games. But currently right now, he hasn't got any of that because he's playing on one leg. So, total non-factor. Charles Harris had one of the better games. Bugs was okay in run, kind of. But no one was that good against the run. Aline McNeil, if you nose tackle leads you in pressures, that means your D-line has been totally outplayed and they should all just hang their heads in shame. So yeah, we got mastered on the lines. This was a game to run in the trenches and that's where we lost it. Yeah. Can anyone anyone remind me what um talking of you know highlight reels, which we like to do on the defence, what what was Michael Brocker's highlight reel? On oh, Sunday, I thought you were going to make a Trey Flowers joke. Then, um, not very good, Michael Brockers. Um, that's a question that needs to be had now. Can Can you remember Ryan anything that Michael Brockers did? I didn't even know he played. Did he even suit up? So Michael Brockers actually graded fourth on the team, uh, sixty-seven grade. Uh, played nineteen that snaps. That proves that EFF is a meaningless, pointless, made-up number. Yeah, I know. Steve O put in there. He goes, if you go off PFF grades, it sounds like Minnesota Blues. I'm, I'm not. I'm using the PFF grades, but I'm more using it just to list the number of pressures and etc. 
people had. I don't use PFF as a Bible. I don't really like it. Matt's the PFF guy, but it's just to kind of put into perspective the level of pressure we had, etc. And it was not good. You mentioned the D-line there. So Aline McNeil led us in pressures. One quarterback hit, three quarterback hurries. He had a couple of tackles on the day as well. His pressure grade was 80. He was very good on that interior. Made life really difficult for Ed Ingram there. Uh, Charles Harris had three couple of quarterback hits. He had a pressure as well. Alex Anzalone, only sack of the game. Got another quarterback hit, got another hurry. Nine tackles on the day, one stop in there. Just one of two given up on receptions. He... Uh, he balled out on this one, but as Ryan says, Julian Aquara, nothing on 13 uh, pass rushing snaps. Um, Austin Bryant got a couple of pressures on just 11, so he did a little bit better. But overall, a really bad day outside of Aleem on the defensive line, and that's disappointing given how much we have put in there. We missed we missed the commish, I think. It would have been a perfect game for Kaminsky and Aleem McNeil to really go at that interior, but unfortunately... It did not work. Um, in terms of the rest of the defense, coverage, we actually weren't that bad. Only 24 receptions given up on 35 targets. That's 68%. We're usually well above 80 every single week there in question. Mike Hughes only gave up three receptions on six targets, although it was for 68 yards and a touchdown. Um, Akuda gave up five receptions on seven targets for 43 yards, but he locked down Justin Jefferson. Uh, Chris Board had a target, didn't give up a reception. Their linebackers, for the most part, were actually pretty decent when it came to their uh, coverage in here. Malcolm Rodriguez got picked on a little bit. He got targeted four times, three receptions for 32 yards. So 10 yards ain't the worst in the world for a linebacker in coverage there. But um, yeah, the trenches we lost here. And, um, you know, we invested in the trenches and the trenches is how we win games. And unfortunately, the offensive line could not get it done to get that one first down when we're trying to run the game out. The defensive line could not get the pressures when it needed to. And I think, you know, outside of all the blame for the coaches and everything there, I think this is a reason why we struggled. Those trenches just did not perform to the level that we know they can. Um, right, so we've done... The two trench groups now. We'll, we'll drop down into the players now. So I know people in the chat. I know Dan was asking a question about TJ. If there's any players you want us to mention and discuss, we'll go through it. But there are a few players I want to go through. This has been really negative so far, for the most part. And rightly so. There are a lot of things in there that we need to be unhappy with. But Jeffrey Akuda gets better week after week after week. He is starting to look like the guy that we invested the third overall pick in just a few weeks ago. You know, he started off maybe not on the number one receivers on the team here, but he did exactly what Darius Slay did the other week for the Eagles, and he kept Justin Jefferson quiet to the point where Jefferson was crying for a foul every time that he couldn't get a pass reception because Akuda was just draped over him like a fur coat. Not illegally, but he was just uh, locking him up that much. How great is it to see Jeffrey Akuda just week in, week out, balling out in the midst of all this chaos in the defense? It's a very big bright spot going forward for us. I just want to just want to cast your mind back to when we did our season preview show, and I think we were talking about some of the pundits and what they were saying about our secondary, and people saying that you know Akuda might be like CB three. I mean. Akuda is by so far our CB1 and 
you know, that's first of all, that's a comment on how well he's rebounded from injury and the effort he's putting in and his performance. You couldn't fault it. Absolutely brilliant. And I'm really, really made up. But it's also a, a massive indictment on the rest of our secondary if Akuda can just stroll back from injury and look so good and make the rest of them just look like an absolute bunch of talentless wasters. Just, just shocking. Absolutely shocking. Um, but I, I'm glad he's back. Um, I, and I thought, I thought Deshaun Elliott had a good game as well in secondary. Yeah, I mean, what about Akuda, right? He's, he's looked really good so far and, and the team needs it. Yeah, he's one of the only bright spots on the second draft. I mean, he's the only one. He's got a lot of things with Darius Slay, because Darius Slay also used to look to the other side of the field and see a bunch of clowns too. So that, that's a shame. But yeah, Akuda, he's doing that well that they're just not throwing to him and they're just picking on other areas. I wish they would target him more so they could leave some of the other scrubs alone. That might actually help us if you got targeted a bit more. But yeah. He's just on an island. People don't want to go after him because he's just putting a blanket on the best receiver. And currently, he can do no wrong. Like I say, he is doing his job. Someone is out there doing their job. And he is showing shades of what we were getting. He is up there. He's probably one of the, he's the top 10 man cover corner right now in the NFL. I can't even name the other nine, but for a man cover corner, which is what he excels at, not zone, just put him up in man coverage. There ain't many better at it right now. And everyone else in that secondary needs to take a long, hard look at themselves and say, what's Jeff doing? What can I do a little bit more to play like Jeff and be as fearless and be as feared as Jeff? Because right now, he is getting no help. Yeah. Um, Steve, I mentioned it quite well. He says, remember that time when Will Harris was talked about giving a cougar a camp battle? Pepperidge Farm remembers. I think that's the term. Harris. I think I think that's the term, isn't it? Pepperidge Farm Get remembers. Um, but Put the pipe down. Put the pipe down. Yeah. Um, Doctor Detroit says Akuda tackles well. Great one-stop support. You know the thing I love most about Akuda and what he's doing this year is how aggressive he is at the line of scrimmage. Did you see how much grief he was giving Justin Jefferson off the line of scrimmage yesterday? He was knocking him off his feet, knocking him to the ground. You know he's like, here you are, rookie. You're really going to struggle with me here. I'm I'm boss. He asserted himself early, and he's done that every week. He didn't used to do that before. He used to sit in soft coverage, let the man get the ball, and then try and make the play on him. But now he's been proactive in his plays this year. I love that aggressiveness he's showing at the line of scrimmage, and long may continue, because a lot of receivers, they don't like it when you start putting hands on them. You know, those, those precious receivers as they are, they just want to run clean routes, get the ball, be the heroes. When they're in a tough battle, a lot of them can't hack it. And Akuda, if he plays the way he is, he's going to upset a lot of receivers and put them off on their day. So, wonderful to see with him. We, we have to switch to the flip side. And with the corners, I think at this moment in time, Ryan, you've mentioned, are any of them going to stand up here? I think you're missing the guys who have that attitude. Jerry Jacobs is still injured. He has got the attitude that is required to get better every week. And I am desperate for Jerry to come back here. And if he... I think now if he's back, you move him to corner. You put him across from Jeffrey Akuda now and you let him develop a corner like you drafted him to do. I think that's the very first thing you do when if he's fit. You give a you give Amani a rest, you put Ify in, let him play outside corner because he can do it, as far as I'm concerned. But you have to talk about the other side. And, you know, I know we've been very critical about Amani here, but let's try and be 
nice and reasoned in our debate with him here. What's going wrong with him? He had a good year last year. I know people said a lot of the interceptions were, you know, a result of bad throws and not really the skill by him, etc. But something's wrong. Yeah, well. He's got he's got two he's got two DB coaches training him. He was meant to be the guy coming into this year, and he's just looked a shadow of himself. What's what's going on with the money? This is a contract year for him. This is where he should be balling out and saying, "Look, I want you to pay me the big bucks." And at the minute, he's playing himself out of Detroit and out of a deal. What's going on with him? I'm going to leave this one to Ryan first. I just, want to try, just, try, just try and be a little nicer, a little more reason, because he's got a lot of flat. But something's wrong. Hang on, I say about last year, he fooled us. Half of those interceptions were gifts. They were muffin baskets. Just right time, right place. If Helen Keller could have seen, she'd have caught one of those last season. It was in her bread basket. And you know what? I don't have anything nice to say about him. Okay. He is literally, I don't care if he plays himself out of the deal. It makes our job easier. Yeah. You know, on Sunday, suit Will Harris up. Will Harris is cornerback too. I will gladly put him in and give him Tyler Lockett. If we give Fuck. Tyler Lockett time <laughs> it's fucked. I say, because right now, one, he's too handsy. He deserved nearly all those penalties yesterday because he kept putting his hands around their waist. He kept tugging at them. He should have been flagged on the one that he didn't get on Thielen, which ended a drive. He just is too handsy, too physical, and he's taking liabilities and risks and getting caught out. And unless he decides to just take a step back, stop being so aggressive, he's going to keep getting penalised. The refs are just going to go after him now because his style player is warranting penalties. And he's going to find it very difficult now because, like I say, as this room gets fitter, he's going to get more and more squeezed out. And he, the benefit of the doubt ends this week. Like I said, everything is done right now, that's fine. If he bounces back on Sunday, that's great. But if he plays on Sunday against two established wide receiver ones, he has got to he's got to keep up with Jeff. We can't have a liability on one side of the field. So this yeah. So this is obviously a very evocative topic at the minute. John Ball says ADC and dollar signs instead of his head in the game, maybe. Maybe he is. Um Steve-O says, I think Oruwarie got some bad calls. Thielen was initiating the contact at the top of his routes. As soon as Oruwarie put his hands on him, he got hit with a flag. I agree. I don't like this new illegal contact law. I think that's getting abused by the refs, but some of them were on Amani. We can't give him the benefit of the doubt for them all. And those those two drive killer ones, when they scored off it, they were both on him. So I agree. I think he got some bad calls, And um, but... You know, he's got to be better. He's a senior guy back there. Jeff ain't holding any of these calls. Jeff's doing his job, and he's guarding Justin Jefferson's lightning quick. Now, he had safety help, but still didn't give anything away. You've got to be better. If you're not the most talented team in the NFL, you have to be the most disciplined team in the NFL, and that will give you a good advantage in games. Um, so I'm, Tom, I'm not even talking about the penalties. 11 targets, 9 catches, 79 yards, and a touchdown. Like I, agree, coverage, I agree. His coverage grade, 27.1. I mean, he just should have been taken off the field. I, I agree. Just a liability. I, I agree, hundred percent. You know, I'm not trying to defend. I'm just trying to, like, say that some of the calls were a bit iffy. But outside of that, he he, we, he absolutely we, was bad. Can I just draw your attention? Week eight, Miami Dolphins, Tyreek Hill, 
Jalen Waddle. Holy fuck. Well, I mean, we kept Samuel Dotson and Scary Terry quiet. I don't know. Jerry should be back by then, and if he should be healthy. So who knows what's going to go on by then. Tom R brings up a point here. He says, Amani needs to sit a game. If nothing else, play him until he gets another penalty, then sit him. What would you do with him next week? Would you sit him? I'd sit him. Absolutely. Absolutely. See, I think you should sit him. I think Logan Stenberg got benched for bad performance, which was, you know, justified in his pass protection. He got benched because he wasn't playing well enough. You've got to set the same example with Amani Arawarie. Now, if you're going to bench Stenberg for playing bad, then you've got to bench Amani for playing bad. Otherwise, you're telling your squad members that, you know, depending on your ranking round here, your place in the hierarchy, you can play bad and still get a start in this one. So I think for the sake of continuity, Amani needs hooking next game and using... Yeah, bring him in the game as he goes along if you're not performing well, but you have to set the example to all your players that, you know, they get the same treatment. So if Logan gets pulled for being bad, Amani gets pulled for being bad. That's that's the be-all and end-all with it. They gave him his chance in the game. He did not take it. So you've got to um, you've got to do that there with him. Um, other players to mention. Um, we talked about TJ Hawkinson a bit. We are all concerned with what is going on with him here. I was talking with Herman Moore yesterday on LNU about this micro mic. All those guys. Herman reckons he's getting phased out just because of all the other targets on the field. And obviously, they have to find a way to reforge this relationship between him and Hawk. But Dan asked us earlier in the t- Twitch chat, is it scheme? Is it the way that Ben Johnson's playing this offense, which is just meaning that there's no room for him in there. Obviously, he's playing a lot with the run, he's playing a lot with the play action, but he's getting it to his receivers. Not his tight ends. None of the tight ends are getting receptions. You've not seen Zilstra, you've not seen Brock Wright. It's not just limited to TJ in terms of catches. Is this more a schematic problem, or is it more of a TJ problem? I just don't think he's getting open. I, I, just, don't, I just don't see him getting separation. I think... Um, there was one route he ran towards the end that, that he was targeted and the, the defender just had an easy pass breakup. I think he was being covered by a linebacker. Easy PBU because it just wasn't no separation. I would have to check the all 22 to see what his, and I will do to see, I don't know what the separation is, but do you reckon it, I, I know what your thoughts are on this, right? You think he's regressing, he's not doing as well, which is great, but I guess, you know, is, is the scheme a factor as well if we're looking at this, you know, through a through a neutral lens, it probably is. It shouldn't be no. because no one else is doing any better. BJ Chark has so far looked crap. Reynolds has only turned up this week. He went missing for two weeks. If we're really going to phase out tight, like uh, one of our highest, like prioritized targets, then bloody hell, just move him on now. If you're not going to scheme him in. Just trade him now. Put him on the trade block tomorrow if mm. you're not going to make him a part because we were led to believe that tight end was going to be this ultra-competitive tank camp battle like with all these underrated guys. And so far, they're all... They're like the invisible man, all of them. Like I say, if this scheme is not going to suit tight ends, two tight end sets, then, uh, then don't carry them. Don't, don't have them on the roster. Don't, like I say, it, I thought that if anything, we would go like ultra tight end heavy this year. I thought we'd have two tight end sets. Mm. I thought we'd try go with that scheme, but so far, he's not a factor. He's struggling. Like he said, he's low on confidence. That is the one thing I think his confidence is as low as it's ever been. 
one because he's not seeing targets, two because he's struggling to get open, and he's just culminating in. I think it's going to go sour. I think this scheme, and if confidence lacks, it could hurt the relationship. And I'm worried that, yeah, it will end with an early exit, that he will just get fed up and say, I want to go elsewhere. So Mm. if they're not careful, they're going to force him out. Yeah, I I do think scheme is a big part of this. I know TJ's not helped himself with drops, etc. But I think scheme's playing a big part in this reason why he's not doing well. And you've got to start giving him the ball. Like Herm says, even if you only gave him two looks, two targets per quarter. It's eight targets, it's just two. It's not much what you're asking for considering the amount of passes that you're making. You know, he should be at least an eight eight target a game guy who you should be giving lots to. So I think you've got to against the Seahawks next week. You saw what Kyle Pitts did to Seahawks the Seahawks yesterday. And I know Kyle Pitts is Kyle Pitts and many would say he's a lot better than TJ and he's a receiving option, but still they use the tight end to good effect against the Seahawks yesterday and we've got to do the same because he's our game changer. We said last week we should use TJ to hunt down these linebackers who ain't that good for the Vikings, and, and we didn't, which is baffling. So it is, it is a confusing one there with TJ. I just wanted to finish with a few comments about some of the coaches now. So, I mean, I got roast When I've been critical of the team at this moment in time, it's not that I don't believe in the rebuild. It's not that I don't believe in Dan Campbell. Anyone who watches this show knows I am a Dan Campbell guy. I am very pro this rebuild. I think he's doing a really good job. I think somewhere along the line, though, there comes a line where you have to start asking questions here. And this defense is starting to get really worrying. And Herm agreed with us. He's very concerned about it. This time, 12 months ago, nearly, to the week, we gave up that field goal against the Baltimore Ravens where they marched down the field, got into field goal range with no time left, no timeouts. The two-minute drill was awful. We did not look like we could deal with the two-minute drill at all. We sent the three-man pressures. We didn't try to get at Lamar Jackson. We gave him the room we needed to. We made stupid mistakes. We lost the game because of that. Twelve months later, what happens yesterday? One ten left, no timeouts. You're defending a two-minute drive. Three plays and it's in. That is exactly the same problem you had on this team 12 months ago. And you have two defensive back coaches running this defense in Aubrey Pleasant and Aaron Glenn. And nothing has changed. You can't defend the two-minute drive. At what point does this become an issue of you can't excuse them because of the lack of talent there. And coaching is not doing well enough because... Aaron Glenn's defense is giving up 30 points a game at this minute in time, and we know it can be good because it is shutting defense, it's shutting offenses out for quarters. It blunted the Eagles for all, but the Eagles scored all their points in two quarters against us. We shut them out of two. You know, the Commanders, we shut them out for a half. We know this defense is good and can do its job, but it's poor execution, poor communication, and just mental lapses in games where they go missing, and the same fundamental problems we had 12 months ago is there now a point where we have to start questioning the coaching on defense just a little bit and stop giving them the excuse of the injuries and the supposed lack of talent there for me yeah for me bad coaching cost us the game yesterday we could have won that game without tracy walker i am gonna i will put the hands up in there and say now tracy walker him coming out it hurt, but did it cost us a game? Absolutely not, no. This defence should be able to survive losing a guy for three quarters, even if it's his calibre. We should be able to plug someone in to stem the bleed. Like I said, 
But to not recognise that our man is struggling and they're going after him and to maybe pull him out, like I said, to maybe just throw in Will Harris and say, do you know what, go have a series. Like I said, make them look at Jeff or make them look at someone else. Try break the line of sight. Just stop them picking on him. Like I said, to then, like I said, to not adjust with the running game, like I said, to still be getting caught on bootlegs and end arounds, those those things that still hurt us last year. Like I said, not recognise the signs of when they're trying to get us going one way and go back the other and still getting caught with those same old tricks. To not recognise that Hutch is not right, like I said, to just leave him out there and watch him struggle. It's really painful to watch him go out there. You know he's not right, you know he's not making an impact. And not just think, do you know what? For his own sake, I know he don't want to come out, but Austin, just just go out there. Even if you can't make a play, just, just go out and save him for himself. Some of these players sometimes need saving from themselves. And that is when Glenn or Pleasant has got to say, do you know what? I'm going to yank you for a drive. I said, not just, I'm just going to watch you struggle. I can see we're struggling, but I don't want to upset the rhythm. I said, they take a time out before the game winning to get everyone in and then to go out and have a fucking blunder. What was said? I said, what, what was brought across? What communication? What coverage to then go out there and then all of it to go out the window and begin to just be blown and then to come out of the game and all we get is yeah, there's a communication. Uh, there's a miscommunication. I'm sorry. It just It's not going to fly. Like I said, this is the first time I have questioned coaching. Offensively as well, Dan Campbell, I'm giving just as much blame, like I say, to go just ultra-aggressive. Last year, I remember when he came out and said, I'm sorry, and then the week later, we were totally passive and we still lost. On Sunday, are we going to go ultra-conservative and lose? Is he going to go the other way because he's worried again? Or is he going to be ultra aggressive again? And then we're going to be coming out next Sunday. I'm like, sorry guys, got it wrong again. I'd never have that player back and change it again. So people out there saying that we aren't in a position to be question coaching. Like I said, you can't be saying the mistakes. You can't put blame on coaching. Like, I'm pretty sure we can. So, uh, we're at the point right now where we can question coaching decisions. So just before I let you answer, Steve, so there's, there's a lot of chat about this. So Steve-O says you're jumping the gun about getting worried. They are still building this team. I never thought the defence was going to be getting better this season. Dr. Detroit says the defence is uh, severely under-talented. And Steve again says, you, you know, your guys' expectations for this team are too high. They are another season from being serious about the playoffs. That's not the issue I have here, Steve. I I'm not just ragging on this team for the sake. All I'm saying is questions maybe need to start getting asked here. We had this problem 12 months ago. Against the Baltimore Ravens, we could not defend a two-minute drill. 12 months later... We can't defend a two-minute drill against the Vikings. All they had to do, and even if it was just to go to overtime, keep your man in front of you. It's very simple. Communicate properly. Keep your man in front of you. Don't give up the big chunk play and the touchdown, which loses you the game. They didn't do that. They busted a coverage, and they lost us this game again. I expect over 12 months just the defense to get a little bit better. Just a little. I'm not asking a lot here, but I'm asking some of these fundamental problems to get resolved. And I'm not, I don't believe that asking that now is much to ask. I don't think that's me critiquing the rebuild. I think it's me having an expectation where I want my team to get better. The record doesn't really matter this year. I want us to win more games, but this team fundamentally has to get better. 
And I am not seeing it from this defense right now. The pass rush was ineffective. The secondary gave up big plays. Exactly the problem you had 12 months ago. There has to come a time where that starts getting better. And we can blame injuries. We can blame all sorts there. But this defense, you've seen that it can play. You've seen that it can force three and outs. You've seen that it can stop drives. But in those clutch moments, bad communication, that's coaching. That ain't talent. It was very simple to get this drive to overtime. And that's my problem here. It's not me saying I've got massive expectations. I don't expect us to go to the playoffs. I don't expect us to go to the Super Bowl. I don't expect us to do any of that. I want this team fundamentally to get better. And in some areas, it's not. And that's a concern. And I think that's a legitimate concern to have. I really do. You know, you say it's because Walker's out the game. Well, I expect my next man to come in and not bust the coverage. Next man up. I expect my guy to take an opportunity. Jerry Jacobs came in last year, undrafted free agent, took his opportunity. They're the guys I want here, not the guys who were busting it. So, you know, like I say, I'm trying to be constructive criticism here. This ain't me saying the rebuild is dead, but it's me saying there are issues here which are concerning me because nothing's changing over a period of 12 months when it needs to. I mean, what do you think, Steve? I mean, the defense is still giving up 30 points a week. You've seen how good it can be, yet they're still giving up chunks. They're still going missing for parts of the game. They still can't defend those critical drives. The fundamentals they need to really take the next step. Can injuries explain all this? Or can or has coaching got to be susceptible at some time, you know, and answer some questions? Um, can you remember, did I go 7 and 10 or 8 and 9 and with my prediction? What was my... Si- Season prediction. Can you remember? I think most everyone but Matt. Most of us went like six, seven, or eight. I, th- I think I said seven and ten. I think right. Um, to win seven matches, we've got to beat teams like, and and I had these teams down for a win. I I had us winning against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars look like one of the top five or six teams in the league so far this year. I had us beating the Panthers. The Panthers have just absolutely smashed the the New Orleans Saints like we are not going to be able to beat these teams if our defence is like a wet paper bag like it's just not going to happen and when you've got players making glaring individual errors and then the coaches compounding them rather than you know pulling us out of it with some fantastic tactical like you know schemes but instead compounding it with some basic decision making. Oh man, like I I'm not trying to be a doom monkey. You know that I'm kind of normally pretty balanced in terms of my views. But like Sunday was like an absolute kick in the nuts. Um because it really just showed to me that we haven't progressed as much as we thought we would. And every team's banged up, every team's injured. Look at teams like the Chargers and the Ravens and the injuries they've suffered already. Like you can't use injuries as an excuse. You know, our, our secondary was paper thin at the start of the season. And, you know, look what's happened with Walker. That's on the co- coaching staff. That's on how they drafted. That's how on how they dealt with free agency. And the fact that all of these kind of like secondary prospects, you know, messing around with Will Harris and Iffy, like, where's the talent to show for it? Uh, yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I get I, you. So I, I just don't, 
I don't think you can just. Yeah, this has got to be the players have got to take some accountability, and the coaches have got to take some accountability. And the defense has always been a problem to me, and we we seem to be very very high on the defense without much, um, you know, without much kind of evidence to the contrary. Like I watched a bit of the Packers against the Buccaneers on Sunday. And, you know, the ferocity that those two defences were absolutely smashing, you know, each other around for three hours. I mean, we're so far off that in terms of intensity and execution. It was a really good game if you're a defensive fan because both the Bucks and the Packers have got decent weapons on offence. But it was really just two defences absolutely showing out in terms of turnovers. And I just thought to myself... Oh, we're so far away from 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 this. Yeah, I, I know. I get, I get entirely. I get entirely where you're coming from. I really do. I just want to give a quick shout out to Music Dreams. He says, "I'm a Lions fan from Tennessee." Here, by the way, love your show. I appreciate you listening to us all the way from from Tennessee. Thanks ever so much for that. And you know, I I get it. I see in the chat people like maybe the expectations are too high, and I, I get it sometimes. Maybe maybe they are, but I just feel like we're at the point now. We gave Dan Campbell the pass here. You know, they made a conscientious decision to draft injured players, knowing that they got long-term injured on the list. They knew injuries were going to be a problem this year, yet they've always said that the team's going to be competitive, that the team's going to play. It's going to fight hard, it's going to be stronger, going to be faster, all this sort of stuff. And then when you cash a check like that, and then you see games like this where they are completely winnable, and it's all a lot of mistakes from players and coaches, I think it just really disappoints you. I think, I think that's what mainly this is. Maybe it's just disappointment that we threw away such a winnable position against a bad Vikings side. They were not good. This game was here to win. And, and wins like this, they establish you in the division. The Washington game brought us to the attention of the national media, showing that this team can do something. Well, a win against the Vikings brings you to the attention of your NFC North rivals who've looked down on you for far too long. And all you've shown them again is that you've, you've choked from a winning position. And... I think we're at the point in the rebuild now, 20 games in, where you can at least start to question a few of the decisions by this coach, and it still be legitimate. I still love Dan Campbell. I still love Aaron Glenn. I still love what the, the project that we're building here, but I feel like there are some things that we need to address. That is all. And, you know, I feel like you have to have this discussion sometimes about some of these issues because you can't just go on and pretend it's going to be all right. All the injuries are going to come back. We're going to get more injuries as we go along. You know, all this sort of stuff. It's just, we know by now we can't expect these injured players to come back and be great immediately. And, you know, the rebuild then it just gets longer and longer and you wait and you wait. At some point you have to draw a line in the sand and move forward in spite of problems. If you coached well, if you're doing well, you're making the right calls at the right time, you win that game, you show that you're really seriously going forward. Now, you know, we've talked about the game for that. And again, we are a pro-Lions podcast. We drink the Kool-Aid. You know, we're generally, you know, a lot more positive than a lot of others are. And when we're concerned, it's, you know, because we care. We care about the team. We want it to do well. We're not just trying to be doing mongers or anything. And it's it just hurts. This one just hurts a hell of a lot. I mean, you know, just, just surmise your thoughts on this game. Any final thoughts about the game? And we'll we'll have a quick look ahead of the Seahawks and we'll get off. Because I know we said we'd go till nine. So... I mean, just what what's the overall feeling about the season now? Is this like shift of what you think the Lions can do this year? You know, is it or, or is it just a case of it maybe a bad week? Let's go and let's go and write it next week. 
first thing I want to say is, right, don't come into the comments and question someone's expectations. Like I said, don't shift the blame from them to me because I want team to be better than last year. So that's for everyone. Like I said, if anyone in the comments, like I say, because that I'm not going to do that to you. No one is expecting the Lions to be a playoff team. But do I expect them to be better than last year? Yes. Fun fact for anyone don't know, the Lions have not won a road game under Dan Campbell. Is it a little bit too much to expect that we can go to someone else's goddamn stadium and come over victory? No, it's not. Like I said, 10 points up, 10 minutes left. Do I expect us to be able to overcome a partisan crowd that was very noisy in a stadium that's got difficult conditions because we play in a dome, like I say, to actually be able to tackle something outdoors for once? Yes. I think that's reasonable. So, expectations, I've seen this word flying around the last 48 hours. That is very, it's just, it's all a matter of perspective where you think the rebuild is. I don't think we're a playoff team. Do I think we'll get 8-8-1 eight, eight that I predicted? Yes. Because there'll be a shitty tie in there somewhere because we've seen how bad we are on defence but how good we are on offence. And looking to next week, I'll tell you what, I've seen people think we'll breeze the Seahawks. Some of you need to get your head a wobble. I watched them last night, and Geno Smith is playing. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, they're going to give us hell because we aren't stopping both of them. So I am very worried about this Sunday. This Seahawks team is terrible. They were crap. But do I think they're going to give us trouble like they did with Rashad Penny again? Is he going to run on us again? Yes, he is going to run on us again. This is going to be another absolute scrap. It's going to be ugly. We're going to have to grow a pair of bollocks to win this game. Someone's going to have to stand up. Yeah, but this this is going to be a really hard game. And like I say, we're away again. We're going to have to go to some... We're at home, aren't we? Yeah, we're at home. We're at home. That's fine. Like I say, we'll have the crowd on our side. Should, like I say, I want to get the job done. But at some point, I want to see the Lions find defence be able to cope for a crowd outside of Ford Field, and that is not too much of an expectation. No, I, I agree. Again, I think maybe it just gets lost in translation somewhere. I think people think maybe you're sometimes asking for too much, and again, don't you know? Don't question expectation. Everyone has different expectations of what goes on. We just want the team to be better. And for me, if you go out and beat the Vikings, beat the Vikings, I would have been there. If you go out and beat the Seahawks next week, if you show, like against the Commanders, we said that first week against the Eagles, it's a lot more palatable if you back up that performance with a performance against Washington to show that you can beat the teams around you. They did. That's fine. I can forgive that. This one, maybe inexperience, maybe bad luck, maybe some bad plays. It's a young team coaching-wise and player-wise that's developing. If you come out and you rectify your mistakes and you beat the Seattle Seahawks next week, a team who are around you, you show that you've learned, then all of a sudden this game against the Vikings becomes a lot more palatable because it shows the team is developing and learning and it is heading in the right direction. If you follow this up with another loss, then I think, you know, there are going to be questions, and rightly so. I think, I think that's where I'm at. I just want them to come out, play well next week and show us that this was a blip and that we're heading in the right direction and hopefully they can because we are looking a lot better and I get what you're saying Steve you know 
the offense is looking better. It is, but I mean, you know, we might lose TJ this year, we might lose DeAndre this year, we're probably going to lose Big V this year. We don't know what's going on with Jared Goff next season, whether they're going to cut him or keep him. Offense has changed quickly from year to year, and while we've got some corner pieces there, it could soon not be a strength next year, if you get what I mean. We can't sort of hang on our hat on, it's just, it's a lot better now. You know, we kind of, there's a lot of change maybe coming on this offense going forward. Same with the defense, so I, I don't know, but they need to do well next week, is my point. I could forgive this week and put it down to learning if they come back and show they're better next week. But I don't know, Steve, just I'll finish this off with you. What what do you what do you think going forward for the season now? After this, after what you've seen, what do you think? Well, I, I kinda wanna throw it back to the people in the chat. Do you think seven and ten in the second year of a rebuild? Do you think that's an unrealistic expectation? Like what what are we hoping for in the second year of a, a rebuild? When you know we're meant to have, you know, let's not forget that a few months ago we we won the draft. You know, is seven and ten unrealistic? I I don't think I'm being unrealistic in saying that this is. You know, I, I thought we were going to be seven and ten. I, I don't think this is me. In in you know, like we have to beat these teams, and I think looking at the next two weeks before the bye, we've got the Seahawks at home, and then we've got the Patriots in Foxborough. I think the Patriots are going to be playing with Brian Hoyer or Bailey Zapp at quarterback because I think Mac Jones is going to be out for three or four weeks with a, an ankle sprain. So if if we if we get to the bye at three and two, all I think is we're still on for seven and ten because our second half schedule is considerably tougher. And you look at some of the teams that you might have fancied before the season started. You know, New York Giants, Jacksonville Jaguars. All, you know, from from what we've seen of them, they're slightly better teams than we we maybe have anticipated. So, I, I just think that the next two weeks are absolutely pivotal, because if we go into the bye one and four, we're looking at first pick again, boys. Like genuinely, I think we're looking at first pick because I I can't see how things are going to open up. Um, if we go in one and four, does that mean we've got to face two defeats against the fucking Bears this season? Because if we can't beat the, the Seahawks at home, I, I can't see us going to Soldier Field and beating the Bears in the middle of winter. So, you know, I, I think that the, the, the fans need to kind of like step up a bit in terms of their... Um, you know how how much they're really behind this team because we've got to get through the next two weeks and if things go sour in the next two weeks I think it could get ugly very quickly um, because as, as Ryan made the point Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf well Jeff Okuda can only cover one of those two um, so and yeah I mean we know what um, Rashad Penny did to us last time we played them so I'm I'm kind of like very very worried. Like really, really worried. That's all all I can say. And you know, I really hope I'm wrong, but I've got a bad feeling coming out of that that game against the Vikings. Like I said, ten points up, foot on their throat. Dalvin Cook out of the game. Jesus Christ, we didn't have a, a better chance of going two and one and making a statement in NFC North, and we fucked it right up. And I think that's the problem here. I think people are wounded by this so much because, like you said, this this buy period is critical now. 
you know, you have got two games where you're a rebuilding team. Yeah, you're going through your things, but the Seahawks are rebuilding as well. They're giving away a lot of what made them good over the years. And the Patriots are missing their quarterback. And under Matt Patricia, that offense looks horrible anyhow. You know, the games you can win. Games that you want to win to show progression forward. And, you know, it just makes you doubt it a little bit. And it's hard because you want so much to believe in this regime. I think people are that passionate about this regime that it hurts when stuff like this happens. Because they just really want the team to do well. They really want Dan Campbell to do well. And it's 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 a tough one. I mean, you know, even in the chat, everyone is sort of... You know, split on this. Big Aries 70 says part of becoming a better team is being able to overcome being on the road. They aren't yet there yet. The defense will be weak this year. Is it a case of, yeah, we've just kind of reached our ceiling for now? We've got to wait another season? I don't know. Uh, Dan Pass says, I'm sorry, losing Tracy and Sun God with Swift and Reynolds going out as well are valid factors. Dan messed up with the field goal, we all agree. He also says, Cheers and thanks for being open to the descent. Go Lions. You know, I. I get it. There's just there's just so many school trains of thought here about this one. It's it's really tough. But one thing I will say, C asked it somewhere. He goes, "Do you ever feel like you've hitched your wagon up to the wrong team?" No, we're lions nah. till we die. Lions till we die, through thick or through thin. No matter how bad it gets, we're with the Detroit Lions all the way. We are hitched up all the way there. I just want them to do well and see them perform well. And who don't know? Maybe the feelings will sell. I don't know. C says, nailed it, Steve. So he agrees with you. You know, there's all sorts going on. It doesn't help when you see Riley Patterson kicking field goals for the Jags and all that sort of stuff. And it doesn't help when you see the Jags nailing the charges. You're like, they picked first in the draft the last two years. Yes, they've got the quarterback, but and they've overspent massively on that team. I just, yeah, pain. I see Devin Lloyd doing really well for the Jags as well, and it just annoys me, but... Let's leave it. Marvin Jones, I don't know if you saw the touchdown that Marvin Jones caught. Fucking hell, what a catch. Why is that guy not still at Ford Field? It was money, wasn't it? It was always going into a rough period with money. We can thank Bob Quinn for that for years to come. But yeah, it doesn't help when the players are there. But let's, let's, let's leave it there today. It's disappointing. Emotions are high at the minute. And, you know, I think we were all ready for that road win away at Minnesota, really just to say to the NFC North, we're really bad guys. And to have that snatched away just rips at you massive. I know it does with me. I was ready to break out the party hats and everything and be like, yeah, this is for real. You've got to fear us now. And it's just, maybe we are just that little notch there yet. And we've just got to wait a little bit longer until we're ready to do it. And these are still the guys to do it. So we'll see, you know, thanks everyone to, thanks to everyone who's joined us this evening on the Twitch chat, on the YouTube chat. We love you all. There's been a lot of new people in today. We really appreciate it. I know I'm sorry with... Well, I'm not sorry. You know, I'm not going to speak on behalf of these guys. It's been more negative than usual today and justified in some cases. But, you know, we, we try to be as happy as we can on a lot of on a lot of occasions. So it just remains for me to tell you about the upcoming show. So me and Ryan are back on Wednesday. We will be talking about college football on the College Football Pod. We will be reviewing week four of the college season. We will be previewing week five, and we've got some player scouting requests from some of our uh, from some of our listeners to do. Like, say, if you want to come listen to the College Pod, you want to know anything about college football, any players, position groups, just let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, whatever. We will do the work there for you, and we will let you know what's going on in terms of some of the players you like or position groups you want to know about. The next main podcast is back on Thursday we will have the Seattle Seahawks preview um hopefully we'll we'll have a guest on for that we'll have the guy we usually get on for 
uh, the draft. Hopefully he's about as knowledgeable about the NFL and the Seahawks as you get. So looking forward to that one there. Um, is there anything else anyone wants to get off the chest before I run down the socials and uh, and go? All I'll say is if you don't, you've got to be here for when we're negative, otherwise you don't deserve us when we're positive. Because I can be radiant. <laughs> I can be a beacon of hope. But this week, you just you were just never going to get it, and they no. knew what they were coming for. Exactly. From Discord knew that I was going to be like this. Like say, and if it's Steve in the chat, I want having a go at you. Like say, like say, I want I don't take offence or like say, but yeah, it's a bad week. Yeah, so if that happens again next week, I won't be on next Monday. I'll promise you all that. I'll just take <laughs> the off and I'll let someone else come and do it. Look, supporting the Lions is a roller coaster. You have good weeks. You have bad bad weeks, we have high points, we have low points, the boy, the most important part is, is we as one bride stick together and uh, help each other through this, so hopefully now we've got a lot of the, the negative juju out there and we're feeling a bit better and we can look forward to the Seahawks game, I'm looking forward to the Seahawks game, chance for us to put things right, Ford Field will be rocking, I love the new atmosphere there at the minute with all the fans going, making noise, hopefully Geno Smith won't be able to talk to Tyler Lockett and uh, DK Metcalf and tell them where he's going to throw it to them on this one. I just wanted to see us destroy him. So, yeah, thanks ever so much to everyone. You, if you if you want to uh, like and subscribe to all the socials, that you can find us all over the internet. So, YouTube, Roar of the Lions UK, if you haven't already. Twitch, R-O-T-L underscore UK. Facebook, our page, Roar of the Lions UK. Our Facebook group, Detroit Lions Fans UK, One Pride Worldwide. Twitter is ROTL underscore UK, Instagram ROTL UK, and the website www.roarofthelionsuk.com. We put up previews for the games every week, and there's always other articles and that going out, so give us a check out. But as always, we thank each and every one of you for the support here, and hopefully we can uh, look forward to another Victory Monday stream next week where we will all wear party hats and tinsel and all sorts of stuff, and we'll have a party. But until then, thank you to everyone who's joined us. We shall see you again next week. Oh, no, we shall see you again on Thursday, or if you're on the College Pod, you will see us on Wednesday. So until then, it remains for me to thank Steve. It remains for me to thank Ryan. See you all again soon. One pride.